0: Right. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, another conversation with Agility by Nature. Today, I am joined by Helen Lizofsky, who is a very active coach. Very much looking forward to to talking to Helen. How are you, Helen?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Yeah, so we're in... uh, It's it's almost getting on for 11... It's after 11th, so uh, tea and cake, not wine o'clock. It's tea and cake o'clock, which is really hard to say, I have to say. So, obviously we do the snoop through uh, LinkedIn and I remember we were talking about your good self. He said, I'm not a person who likes to be pigeonholed and looking at your profile. That's certainly true. Um, <laughs> you've been a business analyst a couple of times, software the employment manager agile coach data project manager studio development manager agile delivery manager scrum master agile coach engineering manager new voice me you've got a heck of a career doing lots of different things you've got screw as well how did you start amongst that there's clearly was where's their plan and where did it start
1: i'd love to say that it was a carefully thought out strategic following of a plan but the truth is is I am a sucker for somebody coming to tell me about a really interesting <laughs> job, so much so that I can often be completely blindsided by the fact that the salary is uh, less than optimal, the location is appalling, and as a result of which, I've worked a, I've, I've been known to travel two hours in each direction oh, wow. to, as a commute for a job that paid less than the last one, and my saving grace was on that particular, you know who you were, <laughs> My saving grace was on that, that particular role, I did say to them, I will join you for 12 months because you've made it sound so good, but I'm only staying for 12 months. Yeah, yeah. And 12 months later, the guy who hired me was laughing at me saying, are you going to stay another 12 months then knowing he'd got it in the bag? And in fact, I then went on and stayed. Yeah, I mean, it became a bit of a joke because every 12 months they would say another 12 months, Helen. <laughs> so I think I was with them for about six years because they kept giving me new and interesting, fun things to do. So... Yeah, my career has been stuff I enjoy doing. And once I really stop enjoying it, I move on and go do something else.
0: So what's the, what's the magic ingredients for enjoyment? I mean, I agree with you that the, the getting the right brief, the right gig to work on makes a heck of a lot of difference. Uh, so all those people who want to do rate negotiations really have to have a juicy thing <laughs> to to do. But what's, what's, what's the components your ear listens out for and say, yeah, I'm going to do this gig?
1: So that, I think that changes over time. So I think you have stages of life. Sometimes you want um, sort of really steep learning opportunities. Sometimes what you want to do is, um, at the moment, I absolutely adore working with people to help them, them grow. So I get a massive kick out of people coming, basically leaving their time with me infinitely more capable of doing whatever it was than they came to me and more than they thought they could do and I, I don't obviously i'm i'm a nurturer rather than a bullier so it's not that i've you know just beaten them until they've done it it's much more about uh lending people your belief in them so that they can do things that they don't have that self-belief to do um and sometimes just you know scrum masters remove blockers you're just removing blockers from people's personal life or career life or helping them get the tools that they need to just you know tell me why you can't do this and I'll give you a solution to help you get over that next hump and that part is super exciting for me
0: I love the phrase lending your belief in them I think great <laughs> uh and I think that's a very powerful thing I don't think that people realize quite how important that is whether you're coaching or whether you're leading a team or a department manager just that simple phrase. I love that I'm st- stolen, stolen.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's story of my life, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, but,
0: you know, engineering management and uh, delivery management, it's, it's not all just about the fun of people. I think it's yeah. actually about the fun of people, but the system of work and getting things done can be quite a pressure cooker in IT world.
1: It is, absolutely. And in fact, that's pretty much how I kind of have arrived where I am now. So this idea of delivering whatever it is that the business needs um, is much bigger than just the the delivering with the team as a scrum master or delivering uh, with a set of teams as an agile coach or as an engineering manager you're only responsible really for the line management of um the people that you work with so 15 20 people however many it is you the, the higher up you get you're still responsible for people and they're responsible for people potentially But actually that's, you kind of need to take that step back and remember that it's not just about helping these people be the best version of themselves. It's about helping people be the right person in the right place. So where I was saying, I've done jobs that I fancied at the time and it's a stages of life thing. What makes it, you know, what makes it the right job at the right time? People are like that. So what they really enjoy today may not be what they really need to do in two years time. So you need to really know your staff in order to help put them in the right place for them, but also critically the right place for the business. Because actually people who are the wrong type of person in the wrong type of role at a certain point in time can really, it can really damage your relationship with that person. So you could lose a potentially excellent employee, but equally it really can damage the company. What you really want is somebody who's really excited about that role. Um, or who is really happy to do that role. So I get uh, quite excited about this. So how I ended up looking um, at this 50 to 250, which is uh, the stuff that I'm doing now, is the idea of this stage of a company where they grow from 50 people to 250 people. You can't anymore just rely on recruiting friends of friends. So talent, tend to cluster together so if you know a great developer chances are they know two or three or four great developers that they'd love to work with so you can recruit people like that for a while yeah but once you get to about 50 people in a company that starts getting harder and there are some things that you need to do and i you absolutely have to do four things and you need to get the culture right um now that's not about Uh, Most people have a great culture with 50 people. What you haven't done is express it. You haven't uh, sort of done it on purpose. You haven't um, described it or or found a way to describe it to new people coming in. So if you don't do that at a relatively early stage, when you're hiring more people in, you will degrade that culture. And that degradation of culture it's so gradual that you'll look around a year later and go, what the hell happened? We didn't. You, this is not us, this is not who we are. The Problem is it is now, because culture is really that lowest level of behavior that you'll tolerate. And then what you, the other things that you've got to do, once you've kind of, you don't have to do anything to change your culture, but you need to sit down and consider it and encode it in some way. You need to really understand what it is. Put that to one side, and then you need to think about recruitment, retention, and results. How do you find new people? And you want really great new people. How do you retain the people you've got? Because as you bring in more people, if you haven't stabilized that culture, your existing people who have got all that lovely knowledge in your business, just wander off because they're not happy anymore. You're not giving them what they need. The culture is changing. They don't have the influence they used to have. And they're not perhaps getting what they wanted out of the business. Because everybody, everybody who goes to work gets something from their employer. Some people it's just money and that's, I think, you know, that might be fine for some people, but most people it's something else that they get from working. And that's their career progression, personal development, uh, social aspect, there's all sorts of things. So that recruitment, retention, and then results. Because at the end of the day, you're a business. Even if you are a charity, you have a, a, a purpose and a finite amount of money. So those results, every decision that you make needs to be made through a prism of, how can I get the best out of the money, uh, resources available? And when I'm talking resources horrifically, I am actually thinking about people. So how can I get the best out of my existing stuff? How can I get the best out of my new stuff? That that collection of those four things, so are you ready? And then have you got your recruitment, your retention, your results? Because if you don't know your culture, you cannot help build the culture with the new people. That 50 to 250 can be quite a painful time, and you can make a lot of mistakes. But with just a few minor nudges, you can actually do really quite well and navigate most of the big pitfalls. Um, The big pitfalls you don't see until afterwards. It's the The horrible thing about it is when you're, you know, It's like, wait, turning around and going, hang on, how did I end up down this huge hole in the road? You don't see it until it's after the event. And that's quite strange when you're talking
0: managers. I mean, it's interesting you chose 50 to 250, because I've always noticed that when you see startups, and they're more up than start, that's around 50 people. And things are changing. A hundred people, things are definitely going to change again. To, and I think there's some analysis behind this that actually does say where these numbers are going to occur, where this pain is going to be uh, in it. Can we just come back to... I mean, you've, you've said so many things there. Sorry. I'd like to just sort of go through the um, culture. Um, so obviously when there's three people, it has a culture. I have worked with some small teams, and I say small business actually. Where it, that culture can be quite, to a new person, quite cliquey rather yes. than a culture how do we I suppose move from how, how do we make the culture explicit and something that people can engage with more easily
1: so I think there's two ways of doing this and I think it really depends on what kind of a founder you are right. so if you have very strong opinions on what the values of your company are what uh, who you want your company does it represent you personally or is this, uh, are you more egalitarian? You want to, um, it's, your culture is a collection of your people and what do they want? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what kind of founder you are, I would suggest you either sit down quietly in a room with yourself, your co-founders, a few people who help bounce ideas off. We all have those people, don't we? Yeah. People that we go to for, out, <laughs> out loud thinking is the way I refer to it. It's that, um bouncing ideas of who ask us the questions in the right way that trigger our brain to think if you're that kind of person i would suggest sitting down and literally thinking about what do we care about what values do we care about and you only want five or six um maybe you can think of it in terms of two or three short stories that would explain you know here's an example this this example of a thing that happened demonstrates beautifully how we how we deal with our customers what we care about for our customers maybe you want to put up Uh, put them up with values. I worked with a company who had about half a dozen values and they were amazing for keeping people on the right track. Uh, One of their values was raise your hand, make it right. So if you saw something that you thought was wrong, you had a responsibility as an employee to say, there's a thing here really, really feels wrong. I think we should do this. Or can somebody help me work this through? Or can I give this to you to make better? you had that responsibility and you knew that was your responsibility. And I think that, um, I think that that kind of, uh, set of values really works well for, um, delineating culture, but it's not just about knowing what your culture is. Part of it is, is making sure that you've got some way of expressing it. Yeah. But the other way is how are you going to pass it on? So you've got a new, you know, yep. Bob is starting yep. new starter. How does Bob know what your culture is? Mm. Because you might want to pair him with somebody who represents your culture really well so that they have like a buddy system and he sees what it's like to belong to the company and that could be a thing um it could be that you provide little video or a little you know pdf that you guys have done during you know that represents some little stories that have happened or uh your top five behaviors or those kind of things you find, you need to find a way to encode it, but you also need to find a way to share it. And it needs to be somewhere that everybody knows about, because if you've got it and it's on a share drive somewhere and nobody knows, it doesn't exist. So unless a new person starting has a mechanism for being introduced to the company culture, they're not going to know. And if they don't uphold that, which brings me on to the next thing, which is actually you need some decent management practices, not heavyweight. I'm talking really light touch but you have to hold people accountable quite early on for these values, because if they're not maintaining your culture or they're acting counter to the way that you prefer your culture, if you're not telling them, how do they know? That's really important, that feedback. But lots of companies, especially when they're small, don't really have any kind of, they have a hierarchy, but it's quite a flat structure. There's no uh, pause. So when you're working in an agile way, we do mm. r- retrospectives. When you pause mm. and you look back mm. uh, or you say, how can I make this better? You might do a five whys. Here's a thing that went wrong. How would we do it better? People need to do that with their careers. How do I know how to behave if you're not telling me I'm, I'm doing this in a way that's counter to the company? And if you don't, what happens is that gradually every single person who joins gradually degrades your company yeah. culture that you might be very proud of to the lowest level of behavior that you will tolerate.
0: Right. And
1: so that's very important that you set that bar where you want it rather than where it settles.
0: It's kind of like the okay box, isn't it? This is in the okay box. This yes. is in the okay box. Um, that would imply very strongly to me that founders, probably founders have, got to have a good self, self-awareness actually when dealing with people, but um, safety um and feeling safe so you can actually say hang on i'm not getting this or is this the right thing have you got a culture of safety in there otherwise that's going to be the first casualty will be your culture is going to start
1: yeah and this is another thing you know lots of people who found businesses or who end up running teams and i you know i think back over my career um people in charge of sort of 40 developers who had no experience of uh, people management so they'd never known what great management was but they'd also never consciously thought about it so for example this person used to get very cross when some of his developers would leave at 5 30 on an evening because he's like where's their commitment why are they not involved in the company they should care about stuff and you'd say well firstly They've been in since 8 a.m. And, and you didn't get in till 11 because yes. you work really late. That's your pattern. That's fine. Yes. But the other thing is, is that you have shares in this company. These guys are are paid a wage and they have families. They have a different stage of life. So what matters to them is absolutely they're dedicated to the jobs when they're in. But actually by 5 o'clock, 5.30, they have, you know, you've wrung everything out of them that they can you know, reasonably be expected to give and they need to go home. They need to recharge. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the fact that you love working till eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night is great, but a, you are a founder or you're a, you know, a, um, one of the earliest people. Plus you work in that pattern. You're not in till 11. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so
1: that lack of awareness of other people's way of working is something that's really difficult to teach. And, and, it needs to be done quite gently because most founders, again, are driven by their product and the joy of solving this big problem that that their business is going to do. People and the people who are working with them, they appreciate, but they don't see them as as a necessary thing to nurture. And it's really, really important that as you, again, that's that 50 to 250. When you're just 50 people, you can pretty much, do it by personal influence, but when you get bigger than 50, you can't, that personal influence is eroded. You may not know the 51st or 55th person who joined your company. You might not meet them for three months. Exactly. So you can't know everybody really well, which means that you can't have those coffee chats. And suddenly founders get put on this pedestal. People see you from a distance across the office and won't go and say, Hey, I think there's a really big problem here. We should have a chat. Yeah. They might tell their buddy and their buddy's only been here a couple of months longer than them. And so suddenly that flow of information is not happening. And if you, I, I often find people get quite, uh, prickly about the idea of, uh, any kind of management, management's a bad thing. And the truth is is good management is lightweight and absolutely the best investment in your people and your business you will ever make, but it needs to be the right kind of management.
0: So, I mean, you know, one thing that sort of just popped into my mind and um, you were talking about, you know, when when you've got 50 people, you can pretty much talk to the whole business just by standing on your desk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. uh, And you should. should. 250, you might be able to do that, actually, but maybe not. Um, 500, I think you're really going to be struggling. But uh, one of the ways that people try and, uh, and you talked about performance and what have you, is aggregate or keep an eye on performance is, the dreaded appraisal system. So ah. I'm not necessarily a fan of the way appraisals are done, uh, but I understand what's trying to be achieved. What's your thoughts about appraisals or what's the right way to just keep that understanding of how we're getting on and how people fit in that?
1: So I think there's two sides to this. There's what the business needs you to achieve. Yeah. And I think that comes down to having a really clear vision which feeds directly into the strategy yeah. so that every piece of work that anybody's working on, they can point to it and say, I am working on this, which feeds into this strategy element, which feeds into our vision in this way. Yeah. And if you can't draw a direct line from one to the other, yeah. you're probably working on the wrong stuff, especially Fine. in a business of that size.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think that. Pathway needs to be very clear, but you also need the communication. So lots of companies don't have they're so used to uh, communication by coffee mug really you bump into people in the coffee room and suddenly you kind of find out a new thing a new project or a new opportunity that's being pursued Um, but unfortunately again, as you get bigger, you're less likely to bump into people who know that stuff or who are able to talk about that stuff. So you have to deliberately communicate. So moving from 50 to 250 is all about putting in some deliberate things that used to happen automatically. And the problem is, is because they used to happen automatically, most founders don't know that this is something that they need to do on purpose because it's always worked before. And it's like I say, by the time it's, it's spiraled out of control, the damage is, is you know, it's hell to fix. So that's the first side of it is making sure you've got this communication model. As you say, you can stand on a desk, and actually, even up to 250 people, you still can. It becomes yeah, yeah. a bigger event. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Actually, it becomes a bigger event and people take it more seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But the other side is the communication upwards. And that's what I was talking about a moment ago, you know, raise your hand, make it right. You need to make sure there's mechanisms for people to do this. And honestly, the best way to do this is to have um, a low level or or low level, a light touch management system in place so that people have a person to whom they go to. Uh, They know it's that person's job to listen to them every couple of weeks or whatever, just for half an hour to say, here are the things that I think are an issue. Here are the things that are happening in my life. Here are the things that might affect the business, whatever it may be. Those are things that you need to have a mechanism for flowing upwards. And uh, sometimes, mostly you don't need to do anything. You just need to know. But the bigger you get, the less likely you are to know again by just bumping into people in the corridor.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: And that safety is that relationship that you were talking about, is that relationship between that manager for want of i mean it doesn't have to be a management role but it's a management it's a, it doesn't have to be a management title sorry it just needs to be that role of management that safety is that relationship between those two people um and somebody who can do that role really well will s- save you uh your recruitment um turnover will keep it really low and recruitment is really expensive replacing good people is something i never understand businesses ever you know wanting to do you don't just get rid of people and get new ones you yeah, yeah. find a way to keep really great people but you have to you know uh obviously make sure that they're doing the things that you need in your business
0: absolutely actually recruitment and and yeah, recruitment is hard it's hard to get it what's what's your what's been your approach to recruiting people to teams
1: so oh i yeah, have. You know i could talk forever on just this one topic because i get really <laughs> so first things first I think once you're f- bigger than fifty people, you can no longer rely on friends of friends to recruit, yeah. uh, because actually, um, that's just your pool is not big enough. No. You don't know no, you don't have enough connections. Uh, some people do, but you know it's unlikely. And and lots of people can't come and work for you in your location or whatever. Yeah. Um, I do think that you need to build relationships with good recruiters, and there are some excellent recruiters out there. Um, and there are excellent recruiters for, for every kind of business. So what's great for one company is not necessarily the best recruiter and right. everybody should use them. It's yeah. uh, There are niches and, and those recruiters are worth their weight in gold. Um, but that takes time and effort. Just like looking after your staff takes time and effort. So does that. Yeah. Um, so you need to build up recruitment uh, relationships with recruiters. The other thing you need to do is when, now this amazes me uh, when you are a small company, you're going to try and tempt some of the best talent to come and work for you. Yep. However, you're not uh, going to probably be able to pay them top whack because you're a company, yep. tiny, you know, you're a startup or not, not really a startup, but a scale up. Now my feeling with this is that most people don't work just for the money. People need a certain amount to live on and that's absolutely fine but what you actually want to find is what it is that people like. And the way you do that is a great management, but great career prospects. The more great people you've got working in your business, good people, do you remember I said, good people cluster together, Mm. talent Mm. clusters. So if you have great people, introduce them to your new, you know, you're hiring a new developer, take them around the office and randomly introduce them to new developers. Very quickly, your current staff will know this is part of their job is to talk to these guys, find out these people What is it that makes them tick? You know, where did you work previously? What have you done? What kind of stuff are you really interested in? Because they're speaking as a, you know, I'm not quite non-techie, but I'm not heavily techie. Um, That's a whole language I don't understand. And even within genres, uh, you know, even within um, specialisms, there are whole language setups. So if you've got somebody who really knows their stuff, finding someone else who really knows the same stuff as them is like a joyous moment. So that's always worth doing. So I always think you should, and as an employee, you always want to see around the offices. If you're going to be expected to go into the office, even post COVID a couple of times a week or whatever, you want to know where you're working. You want to see, show me the environment. Don't tell me what it's like, show me. Uh, But then the most important thing, and this is my personal preference, is a respect for people's time. If you are hiring great talent, they are taking time off from work. Yeah. Um, to come and talk to you, make them take one day, get it done in one day. You have the power when you are organizing that interview to get all the people that you need them to see at the same time in one place. Do it, do it in one go. It might make the interview, you know, three hours long. And I prefer to, so the the model that I've found most successful in a scaling up company um, and I've tried several things, is to have a couple of people um, who are um, the same sort of uh, role that, as the person you're hiring to interview Yeah. Uh, for maybe half an hour. Um, then you would have give a, a little break, bathroom break, cup of water or whatever you need to do. And then you want a, a manager um, or a, a lead of that business area. To talk to those people and to ask questions and then you might want um, hr and a you know somebody senior who gets to make that final call what you don't ever want to do is be in a position where that person leaves the office and you know you're going to need to call them back in order to to make a decision because when they leave the office what you want is to have got to a stage where a quick catch up with everybody um decides whether or not you're going to hire that person yeah. yeah. Um, and that decision means that you can then, when they ring the agent maybe later that day or the following day and say, we want to place an offer. So yeah. agents love the way that you work when you do that. that. Candidates love to know the, the way you work and you don't lose candidates who are probably,
0: yeah.
1: really great candidates have got choices. Yeah. So what they want is to feel that they've got a great job. And if you've left them feeling really great about that interview experience, making them feeling valued because you turned it around really fast and you know you've made a decision you want them that's great because if you dither a little bit somebody else three days later they've been to another interview somebody else is fast off the mark they've got them
0: it's really interesting because um i've been doing some recruitment for a a company good company actually i really enjoyed it um uh, and what's been good working with them is they understood very quickly when i said you need to market yourselves because we haven't got the biggest name um that yep. well, was okay. But being good with candidates, being straight up, being quick to the mark, yep. making the interview process make sense. Why I'm people? enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. But you have to market and I've worked in companies and they say, Oh, we can't get the staff. I said, Why is that? Well, we we're based in Peterborough or nobody likes it. You think, Well, try you not <laughs> if you're not gonna market yourself, what <laughs> have we got? Um, so actually some good tips there. Um you mentioned COVID and, and one of the things is, you know, this infamous water cooler moment and what have you. And, and we have been interviewing through COVID. So we've got people who've joined who yeah. have virtually met people, but never actually met their people. Yeah. Um, is that changing the world? Does that change your thoughts at all?
1: Well, do you know, I, I think it probably is changing the world, but I think there are some people who've already been doing this and, and right. I'll explain to you why. So I think when you are looking to build your business up and you're looking to recruit people, you have a fundamental choice to make, which is, do you want the best people that you can get locally within commutable distance? Or do you want the best people you can get?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now,
1: if you want the best people you can get, um, then some of those people are gonna live outside your local area. And actually, I think that remote working is not an evil thing. I, I love remote working. Now, I love going into an office and seeing people. Yeah, me too. So I see no reason why you can't have a balance. But yeah. equally, I have worked exceptionally well. I mean, I uh, had a uh, partnership with somebody in, in one company I was working with. Uh, she and I worked basically the same job as a pair, and we she was permanently remote, Uh, 50 miles from my home, but 200 miles from where I was in the office. (laughs) And actually that was the most successful working relationship I've had. Um, There are changes to the way that you need to work when you're working remotely. You have to put in more effort um, to build that relationship and you need to build some ground rules about how working, what's polite and what's not polite. and sometimes you need to be really direct about it. You need to say, and we did. I said to her, if, you, if I have something I want to say to you that's perhaps not uh, as, as nice or as uh, uh, not a good thing, how do, you want, do you want me to just say it or do you want me to um, put it into nicer words or do you want me to email it to you after the event or do you want me to put it on text? Uh, and she said, no, no, no. She said, just be direct. And actually we found that that agreement process meant that it was a little bit odd to do. I can't, can't lie. It was a little bit odd to do, but it meant that we absolutely had an understanding. Um, And sometimes I would say something and say, you know, I don't know that I phrased that particularly well, or I'm trying to find the right words. And she'd say, use the words you've got and we'll refine it. (laughs) So, so that I could say, you know, I don't know, the sound of your voice is grating, for example, it wasn't. (laughs) But I could say something like that and she knew that's not what I meant. What I was trying to say was maybe the sound of your voice coming through my speakers with the headache that's just starting at the back of my head is really troublesome. Can we hold this meeting at another time or something? But it allowed us to start and then work out what I meant. And so long as you can put that offense to one side. Now, that was a very, very specific case. But remote working um, needs more effort is the point I'm trying to illustrate. That was a horrifically uh, detailed example. But it needs more effort, but it's really worth it if you want to hire the best caliber people. Um, And managing remotely, we were talking about managing uh, being really important. Managing remotely is harder, but it's not impossible. It's just harder but then you know if something's worth having it doesn't necessarily have to be evil uh easy does it sometimes you need to make uh more effort because the the value return is much much higher
0: yeah, yeah. it occurs to me actually managing remotely and um, um, managing in person if that's the right word um is the same it's just that you are now forced to put a lot more effort into what you should have been doing in the first place uh, <laughs> uh and so for example when you when we've done projects and not many teams seem to do team norms and ways of working, you know, how do we make decisions and things like that. Sometimes they codify it in a team charter. Yeah. You have to, because you can't just guess how it's going to work because you're all far away.
1: I also think this is something that people do uh, naturally anyway. So just, doing it on a lot of the stuff that just occurs naturally when there's only a few of you in an office yeah. in a team or whatever this stuff can just occur naturally but the problem is the bigger you get and the bigger the team gets the more new incomers new, uh, yes newcomers coming in um yeah. the new the, the more changes there are in a a set of people means that that becomes harder and therefore you need to invest more time in it. And deliberately doing something on purpose just is about saying, this is a thing I value. I value making sure that we're all working together, you know, and everybody, we all do, you know, new year's resolutions. We all do oh, like that's never it. Never
0: do them. Never <laughs> do them. <laughs>
1: We all do, right, as of t- Monday, as of tomorrow, yeah. right, these are the things I'm going to do. And we should, as a, as a group of people who are going to work together on a regular basis, say, right, you know, in the calm, quiet, we've all had a cup of coffee and we've all had lunch or whatever it is. We're at our best selves right now. How would we want to do on an ideal basis? Because what you need is that accountability and the permission to hold someone accountable. So you need to be able to say yep. to somebody, do you know what you said? You know what? You weren't going to be late for meetings, and you've been late for meetings three times now. And actually, you know it's difficult because we had that conversation, and it gives you permission to hold someone accountable. Yeah, yeah. And it means that that accountability is doesn't sting as much for the person getting it. They know, and it makes everybody better. In my yeah. opinion, we all become closer to the best version of ourselves, or who we want to be, maybe
0: and no appraisal system i've seen that involves tick boxes does that i do have a question (laughs) i do have a question um it's very specific about the scaling up and the growth and it it comes back to the founder and one thing i have noticed is as things scale up inevitably the founder has to, I'm going to say the words let go, but let's use the more posh word, delegate. They can't do everything. Yes. You know, when, when there's three people in the business and you're coding up the new application on, in, the, in the taxi as you're going to the pitch meeting, that's a very different world. to a slightly more mature, been yeah. running for a few years, but, but there can be an issue, and I have noticed this before, where the founder is just not letting go and is still trying to be the everything to everything. If you've seen that, how do we deal with that?
1: So that's, you know, you've got to understand this is somebody's life and yes. soul, you know, and this is not a deliberate effort to frustrate you as an employee. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: what it is, is them lacking confidence in the way that something is being done. So there are several things you need to do. One is if you are in that position with a founder um, you need to build that really strong relationship with the founder. And I would suggest that founders build that really strong leadership team um, because those are the people that you need to trust with your baby. This is literally the thing. The other thing is, is, is a communications thing. So I think that uh, over communicating to a founder who is perhaps clinging on helps them to feel like those conversations and those decisions are the right decisions. Um, giving them the opportunity to, so for example, I might come to you and say, right, so we've had these three issues. The first one we've done this with, the second one we've done this, this and this, we're planning on the X, Y, and Z, and the third one we've kicked into the long grass because we right now think that the, we're better off focusing on the first two. What do you think, you, you're happy with that? So all I'm doing is saying to you, give me your opinion. Do you want to change anything? And you know what, if you do, that's absolutely fine. Because as a founder, you should be changing those. I shouldn't just do it because you've told me, but ch- I want I want you to tell me I'm not happy, and for me to say, well, do you know what? The reason that that's happened like that. Let me give you some of my experience, which you've hired me for, and I know you value me for. Here is my here is my um, reasons that we've made those decisions. Do you? If you still want to, I will disagree with you, but we'll still do it. Disagree and commit. I will do it yep. because you are the founder you've chosen, and you are ultimately my boss. So. Yeah. Yeah. That But you have a responsibility to, to make this as easy as possible for a founder. And as a founder, you need to build that relationship with your leadership team and you need to put a leadership team in place. Too many founders do the things they think they ought to be doing rather than sticking with the things they love.
0: <laughs> and as a
1: founder, you need to decide how do you want to spend the majority of your days? And it's really hard. So when you're delegating out, it might be that you want to delegate out the CEO function and become... Chief technical officer, or you want to delegate out all the coding stuff, which frankly you didn't mind doing, but you really got bored with now, and now you're really enjoying the strategy stuff. So decide how you want to spend your day as a founder, and then make sure your leadership team will support the stuff you don't like. Because, frankly, what's the point of being a founder if you can't get rid of the shit that you don't want?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, um. Actually, even as not a founder, I kind of subscribe to that. Ellen, it's been great listening to you. And I really like the way people, 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 and clarity, honesty, clear line of sight to strategy. And, uh, you know, often when we talk about all these agile, we talk about processes and and technique. And you think, let's just talk about real people. So it's been an absolute joy listening to you. Thank Thank you you. so much for your time today.
1: Thank you for letting me talk. It's one of my favorite things.
0: So, so Helen, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they?
1: So there's a fluid working website is my company. Um, and I hit me up on LinkedIn is absolutely fine too.
0: Absolutely fantastic. Um, Helen, as you, you can contact uh, either of us, I'm sure through um, the wonders of LinkedIn. There are other social networks available. <laughs> or you can write to me at ian.gill at agilitybynature.com. I think Helen's profile's in there as well. We've got a lot of great uh, practitioners who can help with startup, scale up, and even more mature businesses. But I think now we've moved on from 11 since cake o'clock. I think it's Ian's got to take son to Nando's o'clock.
1: <laughs> you get all the fun
0: jobs. I'm getting all I'm Mr. Mum today and Mr. <laughs> Dad. So uh, thank you so much for talking to us. And uh, for now, goodbye. Bye. Thank you.